Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. Something we've all done at one stage in our business journey is hide our gaps, whether it's a gap in knowledge, a gap in offering, or even a gap in confidence. But what if by hiding these so-called gaps, we're actually holding ourselves back from growth, from assistance, or from becoming the type of business our clients actually deserve? Today, Tim and Alana share some of the elements that they once hid, but now have faced and become proud of, and the profound effect it has had on them personally and for their clients. It's a really interesting discussion. Hope you enjoy. As we continue on in the journey of building businesses, some of the things that we, I guess, work out with the fullness of time and the increase in experience is things that we used to maybe try and hide in our businesses or the way in which we approached things are now things that we're proud of. And it happens a lot. You know, we were talking about this the other day, which is in my business, the things that I used to be embarrassed about are now the things that I am completely open with because you realize that there's nothing to be embarrassed about in business. Everyone's on a journey. We start from someone and it's a consistent and constant learning process to build a company. Now, the problem is when we're trying to, I guess, fake it till we make it or we're trying to pretend we're somewhere where we're not, we're actually doing ourselves a bit of a disservice. And Lana and Nigel, we had a really great conversation about this last week, which was the damage it does to yourself personally in your business when you're trying to be something you're not. And it was this whole idea of you actually repel the type of help or the answers you need because you're putting on a brave face or fake it till you make it. It's very interesting because it's another one of those counterintuitive behaviors that we think we need to do, but it actually does us a massive disservice. The difference between pushing through and getting to the answer versus pretending like you know the answer and not actually getting help that's, I believe, where the disservice comes into it. Because we can pretend like we know stuff to get through a meeting or to get through a conversation, but then you actually go through the process of finding the answer versus I know it all, so I'm not going to take help from everyone or anyone. Yeah, and you, you see people that, are, oh, I can talk my way out of anything, but they don't realize that they're actually doing damage to themselves because they probably need to confront that knot almost be able to weasel their way out of a difficult conversation or something they don't want to be found for. And it's really important. We need to discuss this in some depth because I don't know if I do subscribe to this fake it till you make it. I think there are elements we need to try before it's come to fruition. Absolutely. But I think a lot of people fake it till they make it when they're talking about trying to pretend they're somewhere they're not and then wondering why it's so hard. Let me give you an example. We meet a lot of business owners at all stages of their business journey. From the startups, people putting together their idea, to people who've been in business for 20, 30 years, getting into the exit stage of their, of their journey. You still meet people that have been in business for 20 years that are trying to fake it around where they're at because they've missed a few of the lessons and they're still struggling at a certain stage. They want to get bigger or they want to grow or they want to do a whole bunch of things in their business. And just because they've been in business for a long time, they're almost embarrassed to let you into, I don't understand these fundamentals yet because they've been putting on such a brave face for so long that they're almost embarrassed to say that I never really understood how the finances work. I never really understood how a marketing system works. 
It's hard because when you've been in business for so long and you get to that stage, you don't want to admit to someone that you really don't understand something that might seem almost um, the basics or the fundamentals of what you should have picked up many, many years ago. And I think this stems from this whole idea of what we used to be embarrassed about, but now we're proud of. It's addressing these things that we're now embarrassed of or we're in there, but we're proud of. So rather than looking specifically at those type of issues, maybe I'll just throw you under the bus first, Lana, is good. what did you used to hide or try and shield from the outside world, but now that you're proud of or you behave differently? We have a bit of a joke in the agency. There's me and my general manager, we're the sort of top level. And we say that he's very client and I'm very agency. And agency in our little sort of joke, non-joke, is doing everything that makes the client happy, regardless that you just, you always say yes, and it's, you're there to just make them happy. And when I started, I would always hide my opinion from the client if it was against what they wanted. So not that it was against what was right for them, because you have to get the results. But if they wanted to do it a certain way that they thought was right, even if I disagreed with it, very much I would agree with them and then slowly bring them to my way of thinking or just make sure that they were happy. What I know that I do now and I have done for the last probably five years is I don't hide my opinion from clients. I know that they're paying for a service, they're paying for my expertise. And recently, one of the clients brought a new client into the call and they introduced me as this is Alana. She's great and very direct. And it's this being direct with the clients that I used to not be. I used to have this sort of love in, we're all together. And that was a disservice to the client because by not telling them my opinion, by not telling them this is the way it should be, I wasn't allowing them to make a decision with all of the information. I was allowing them to think that what they thought, which was uneducated in relation to what I knew about digital, was the right way to go. And so that for me has been my change. I used to hide opinion, whereas now I know I have no choice but to give opinion. It's a really interesting transition I think a lot of business owners make, which is that mindset shift. And we've gone through it ourselves, obviously, in all the businesses we've ever had, but probably less so in the newer ones because you obviously have learned the lesson, so you don't keep repeating it. But it's this idea of, and particularly smaller businesses that are dealing with smaller contracts or smaller clients, they start the business off being very, not submissive, but very agreeable. And this is the thing that people don't understand is great clients aren't looking for agreeable. It's actually your weakness as a business when you're manipulated by the client in how things need to be. And it obviously depends on the type of business you're in. But the example I like to think about is if I was going in for surgery, would me and the surgeon be having a discussion about how I think the surgery should be done? Probably. (laughs) Maybe not me because yes, yes, I would have done my research prior to how the Yeah, let's leave that one alone. (laughs) But this is exactly the point. When you start to get into higher value transactions or more important transactions or bigger business, your job is to be the professional in that field. So when a client has an idea, it's not dismissing their idea. It's hearing what they're trying to achieve. And then with what you know, making sure that you deliver what you know that client needs, not what they think they need. Where that becomes difficult is you have to be prepared to lose a client in some instance because why would you ever disrespect a client that much where you don't apply exactly what your experience, your knowledge and how it's going to work rather than manipulate it by 
the client dictating how it should be. So if I'm going in for surgery and I go, no, 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 listen, Mr. Brain Surgeon, I don't like the way you do that. Instead of using a scalpel, I want you to use a machete. Oh, Tim didn't survive the surgery. Why would the surgeon allow that? You know what I mean? It's wrecking the whole process of what he needs to do to deliver. And when you're talking about that, Lana, and the things that you're speaking about is you almost let clients manipulate in the early days because you want obviously a smaller business. Every client's so important. You let them manipulate how it should happen. And then if there's a screw up or something doesn't go according to plan, you can actually trace it back to why did we even do it that way? And that's the interesting point. With experience, it comes that you know as a top performer, obviously, as a top performer, you know the answer. So if you're not allowing the answer to come through, if you're not allowing the right direction to come through, you know it's going to screw up in the future. And then you as an agency or as a service provider or as a product developer, it was your job to get to the result that you can't get to because you didn't challenge, because you didn't say, I know what is right. Here is the situation. And you can choose not to agree with it. In digital, it's quite simple. You can advertise on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If we say do on Instagram and the client says do on Twitter, it's our job to tell them why it should be Instagram. If they choose to go for Twitter, that's absolutely their decision. But it's still in our job to tell them our opinion. And that's where the challenge comes into it. And I know we were talking about this on another podcast about you have to know the numbers in your business because you as the business owner makes the final decision. You just have to get all the data. And for me, that's what I'm talking about here is you're doing a disservice to anyone that you're working with, not by telling them your opinion, not by challenging them or their way of thinking in a respectful way, obviously. Yeah, that's where I think a lot of smaller businesses get this message wrong. They go, this is the way you do it and then that's all we're going to do as opposed to great business people working with the client to get the outcome they want, which is let me explain why our process is going to work. Let me share the experience we've had. Let me show you the pathway because if you don't get the client on board anyway, it doesn't matter because they're going to feel like they're not heard. And part of that process and particularly in service-based delivery businesses, that's important. But it is a little bit the same also with products. Product-based businesses are a bit easier because the client doesn't get to dictate, oh, I love that t-shirt, but I want it in green. There's either green or there's not. You want a custom t-shirt, well, you're going to be paying a completely different price for that. And that's why obviously it's expensive to do custom. But it's the same in this type of business, isn't it, Lana? In in a service-based business is taking the client or it's not manipulating the client to understand the journey. It is sharing the experience of why you can't change your fundamentals because you wouldn't allow them to take a misstep under your watch. We have the same in our performance business. Clients who come in, they go, I just want to do huge growth. I want to scale up and go, you're fundamentally not ready. So we're not going to allow you or we won't work with you until you fix the fundamentals in your business because we know as soon as you start to scale up and grow, it'll implode. It would be easy just to allow them to do that, but they will implode. So we don't. You know what happens in the future if you don't commit to it. And it is very simple to agree. It's really easy to agree and it's really safe to agree. And, you know, if you've got yes men and yes women around you, you know that you can't actually trust them for what you need, which is truth. And at the end of the day, this is what we're all coming back to. This is what communication is about. Am I getting the truth for me right now? And things can change in the future, but I definitely am proud of the fact of how direct I am or how honest I am. And it's honest to the situation. It might not be what I believe, but it's what the client needs to hear or it's what the team member needs right now. And it's that directness that is all actually about getting to the end goal. Forget the journey. It's that end goal that I need to achieve. 
and I don't have time not to be direct. My clients don't have time for me not to direct. You, Tim, you don't have time for me not to be direct. No, because directness is honesty. Hmm. And this is the whole point, I guess, of things that we used to hide, which were let's see how we can work with clients and then behind the scenes we'll try and do the things we know will work as opposed to this is how it's going to happen with us. This is what we need to do to work together. And we want you to buy in from the start as opposed to maybe in the early days, you hopefully as you build a better relationship with the client, you can almost get them to try this, do this, do this. And it's like, it's just a poor way of proceeding because it takes too long. There's a lot more bumps in the road when you do things like that. So you really have to be proud of your experience and how you're going to deliver a result. And I think that's the key to it is when people come and buy from someone who's experienced, they're paying for the result. When you're a smaller business and you're unsure, you're working on the journey together. Whereas you go to really top performers go, this is how we get you to here. And this is what's going to need to happen. Budget, the roadmap of how you're going to feel during, you know, all these things. And that's when you know you're dealing with a top performer. Yeah. This also goes for personal relationships. This goes with uh, dealing with senior leadership teams, dealing with employees, dealing with board members, whatever it might be. You're there to get a result and you should expect in return that same level of directness within the field. And directness doesn't mean rudeness. Directness doesn't mean being untactful. Directness is about cutting out all the fluff. If I ask you which way to the market, you can point me towards the market and say, there it is. Or you can give me a detailed roadmap that I didn't ask for. I just want the direction that I'm going in. And we forget this in business is sometimes talking about the fake it till you make it. As you get more experience, you can pick the fake. You can pick the person that just keeps waffling on and not giving you the answer that you're looking for versus the person who gives you the answer, gives you the reason, and if you need it, gives you the education. And this is what you want to look for, in my opinion, in your team as well, is you need directness with tactfulness and understanding when you're in a high-pressure situation and that there's different times for different skills around this directness that need to come out. Yeah. I agree totally and and the tactfulness is probably the really important part of it. There's a lot of heroes that people want to be direct but rude and you know what? That works sometimes, direct and rude, but it gets boring pretty quick. And that relationship does not last. No, and that's right. So people who are proud of, oh, just ignore them, they're a little bit untactful but they can do and get results. It's a short-term game then. I've seen people come and go, yes, they're rude, they're direct, they almost wear it as a badge of honor. I know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to be non-tactful. And I that's have not the what right. we're talking about. Yeah, I have the right. But they're such short-lived people because eventually clients find the same person who can deliver the same thing, but they feel appreciated. So this isn't about being a smart aleck. This isn't about being brutal. This is about being professional, direct, and high performance. And high performance is what are we trying to achieve? And this is how I can get you there. Because Frankly, all roads lead to Rome. You're going to get there at some way if you keep going forward. What you're looking for is the person who can fast track the timing of the result you want and that you enjoy working, that will challenge your thinking, that will help you get to a new point of thinking or awareness in that area of your life. So on that point of being tactful, one of my favorite quotes is to tell someone to go to hell in a way that they look forward to it. And that's what we're talking about. You're being direct with someone, but you're also being respectful. You're also understanding what they're there for. And I think that that's where this all really comes into it is top performers, you've got your mastery. You know what you're doing. It's your duty 
to tell whoever you're working with around your opinion, if that is your place, obviously, if that's part of the program, and to do it in a way that is respectful so that not only they will understand, but they actually want to bring you along with it too. And that's where the tactfulness comes into it is that you want to be part of this journey, this project, whatever you you are part of, because you've got the skill set. But if you're not a good person, if you're blunt, if you're always giving your opinion, but never backing it up with action, that's where you do have to bring the two together. I think with smaller businesses that are growing, when you start out, you're probably working with businesses that are of a similar size. So you're almost learning together. But as you start getting better and and working with different clients, the way you work with clients changes. The more you pay a client or the more you pay a supplier, you're expecting a result, not a collaboration in different areas, obviously. There's obviously times where collaboration is going to be key to all projects. But you're seeking out professionals to fix something in your business or you're paying for a result. And this is where a lot of smaller businesses don't make the transition because they're always trying to behave like a small business and expecting bigger and better clients that pay more. Yet they're not providing the service. They think the service is still what they were providing when they start. I'll give you an example. When you may have been, say, in digital marketing, when you start out, it is I want to set up a Facebook account, right? Smallest, lowest level. I'll work with you. I'll teach you how to use it. We'll sit with your staff. And then you go, well, I'm in social media. And then you look at why can't I get better clients? I want people who understand more that want to do something. You get a big client and you go, I can teach your staff. They don't want their staff taught. They want to get 10,000 hits on their website and this is what it is. And it's understanding what the client's needs are and how they want those serviced. So the way they're serviced is, I don't care what you do. That's the result I want. I've moved from client class and I'm looking to buy results as a client instead of smaller business, which is educating on everything you do, which is not the game you want to be in unless you're in obviously education or something like that. But you see a lot of smaller businesses that don't want to, in inverted covers, be bigger businesses, but they never transition their value proposition to a bigger client. They don't understand the needs of a better client, so they never attract a better client what you think is valued in the early days is not valued later on in the journey if you're switching client class. When you switch client class, people are expecting a professional and a professional delivers a result and smaller businesses still try and behave like smaller businesses when what that client class needs or to jump client class is they want delivery of results. So it changes the whole way you communicate. You have to appreciate conflict in the conversation and in the interaction because conflict actually at times in a interaction creates a better result and you want to facilitate that, as Lana was saying, challenging ideas. Clients that come at you and they want something, you need to challenge those ideas because they're obviously, they've got some ideas of what they need, but you as a professional to hold your own is, but will that work? It doesn't mean they're not going to have great ideas because sometimes you go, that's a fantastic idea and this is the execution. But that's the point. It's about being a professional at a different level or changing the level of professionalism depending where you're at. I've mentioned this before that the best client we ever had, and we've now got about six of her on the books, which is great, was a marketing manager who said, I will question everything you do because I have to sell it up. But whatever you tell me to do, I will back it. And that's the sort of person that you want on your team in a service-based business from a client's point of view is 
they need to always be wanting more. They need to always be understanding only because they know that they're accountable for the work that you're doing as an outsourced service. This is where this idea of challenging or always giving your opinion, this is where it came from for me, was I realized that these people who were hiring us didn't have the knowledge that we had. I thought that everyone had the knowledge until I realized, well, they actually don't. And I need to make them smarter so that they can educate the people in the business that we don't have access to. They're the ones who are paying the bills. They're the ones who are saying yes to the service being brought in. And so if they've got a great idea for a campaign, like you've just said, of course we listen. But if we can make it better to get the result, that's what they're actually paying us for. Can I ask in that kind of situation, because I think that social media thing is a really easy one for people to kind of understand. If a client comes to you and they say, you're going, Facebook's the way for this to work for you, but they are 100% going, no, Twitter is where we are going. This is what is going to happen. You know, they're not going to get as good as a result. What do you do in that situation? Do you try and work with them to make that work or do you go, that's not going to get you what you want? Uh, From digital point of view, we start with education around that. So we would educate them on who is the audience that you're trying to talk to and this is where they operate and this is where they live and this is where they belong. However, I'm famous for saying you're entitled to your own opinions, you're not entitled to your own facts and right now we don't have any facts. We just have a lot of opinions. My opinion is it's Facebook. Your opinion is it's Twitter. Let's take a minimal amount of that budget and let's test it across the two for a period of time. Therefore, we will get the data back. Then it becomes their decision. Them as business owners, them as business leaders. I have given my opinion. I have given my reason for my opinion. If they still want to do it that way, wonderful. But we get it in writing so that when it comes back that Twitter didn't work and Facebook did, we've got the paper trail of where it came from. But then we haven't spent a lot of money because we, if we believe it won't work, we can't make the client spend money as a test. It has to be an understanding between the two. And there's a commercial example of tact. <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's still lower level, to be honest with you. Yes. But that's the dance of a certain client type and where the business is at. Yep. When we're talking about things like what platform the client wants to work, when you start to get bigger is what is the result you want? We want 10,000 more hits. Great. This is what we're going to do. You don't have an opinion. You get to put in your marketing plan, but you've got to understand that some of these discussions, even what Lana's saying is, we're working with people to educate them. Whilst they're a great client and they're still bigger clients, you have to at some point deliver results. The great companies get to a point where they're result-based execution. You go to someone because you want that result. You don't want to sit and collaborate. That's smaller business. This is what we need to do. This is how you're going to work. Because if you find yourself with a client that is telling you how to do your job, why are you working with them? So what's the actual point? You're in a tactical business where you're in an execution. They're just looking for a cheaper way to execute. And if that's your business, fine. But no, that's your business. You're a commodity business, which is all I am is a cheaper option than an internal resource. If you want to start getting to the higher value clients with the bigger margins, the client should be there because you're doing something that they can't do. It's your superpower that your company's created. And it's really important because there is a fine line, but also you have to keep evaluating that. What you think you are as a business versus the type of clients that even being in that discussion is a red flag. And we actually don't work with clients like that anymore because we know that we can't help them in that the discussion takes up too much time. We always have to prove our ideas as opposed to let the results speak for themselves. So luckily we've grown big enough that we can move away from that sort of thing. And to go back to Tim's first point around this, it is something that you grow into. As you get bigger 
clients, you have to grow with them. You have to be able to say, I'm willing to lose this client because I can't have this discussion again. It's not what we're here for. Well, it's a matter of disrespect as well, because if you're saying having those same conversations with a client, there's not trust there. If you break it down and get to root cause, which Lana and I have been in these situations over the journey many, many times, what are they really saying? If you're having the same challenges with a client, which is we don't trust what you're doing. So there's a bigger conversation there, which is what have we missed out on? When you're not direct or you're not honest up front because you want to secure the client and get moving forward, but you know it's not really the way we should be servicing, and then you wonder why there's a problem. That's what creates these problems. By not being direct up front, you're actually doing yourself, your company, and all your people a disservice and the client a disservice, by the way, because it creates problems in the relationship that you've actually been part of. You've created this problem by allowing the start of it to head down a path. The way in which a client deals with you is a common one for smaller businesses as well, which is what are the parameters around communication? Smaller businesses, I see it all the time. You can call me 24-7. That's not professional. Unless you're an emergency services type business, that's not professional and you're not adding more value by being a slave. What are the boundaries around your client because you're a professional person? Can you call your lawyer 24-7? You bet you can and it's going to cost you because they go, you ring me outside the hours, it's going to be this. You ring me just to say g'day, every three minutes we're billing you and they've learned how to protect their time to stop the stupid stuff. Adding value is not becoming a slave in the relationship. And smaller businesses hang their hats on. We won't be corporate. We're going to service these people better than any of the corporates. And what they actually don't realize they're doing is they're lowering their value because people who have value do protect their time and they value their time. And this is the important thing in those relationships is directness is about boundaries in the way you operate, in the way you could deliver it. Every other business that works well and scales I can't rock up to the airport and go, you know what, my flight to Rome, nah, I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. I know the flight leaves at 6, but I'll get there at 7.30. The plane going to wait for you? No. The only way to do that is have your own plane, right? That was what was going down in my head. (laughs) So that's the only way to dictate that. But this is the point. Smaller businesses behave like they're a boutique custom service and they're the last ones that should be boutique and custom unless they're charging the premium for it. And most of the time they're not. And that's also how you get treated, which is a very interesting point back to the aeroplane. I believe it was that um, Qantas had Wi-Fi and then the Wi-Fi stopped. And it was the expectation that you could have gotten Wi-Fi and then it was taken away from you made everyone very angry on the plane. From a small business point of view and a servicing, if you're available 24-7, if you're responding to emails on the weekend, you can't suddenly stop. You've set this expectation that this is how it is. Yeah, that client wants too much now. But you told them at the start of the relationship, you're available 24-7. Yeah, but I didn't think they'd actually do it. You were responding to emails on a Saturday and then your whole team suddenly has to respond to emails on a Saturday because you've set this expectation. And this is very interesting and it does come back to the fake it till you make it, what you used to be proud of. This discussion is making me really uncomfortable because it was me two years ago, three years ago even, that I... I was proud that you could get me any time that I would respond to emails and I have to actively work. It's low level. Yeah. I have to actively work to not respond to emails. I look at my staff and when they email me back within 10 minutes, I wonder why are they on their email? Now, sometimes it's absolutely legitimate because they're checking their email, but people who are proud in a company that they get back to you quickly, 
don't realize that they're seen as complete time wasters because they're always sitting on their email, right? Unless you're in a reactionary position, which is I send an email and some people respond within two minutes. And that's something you're proud of. What it says to someone who understands the dynamic of how your day should be is you're spending way too much time in your inbox. And it's the same with a client. I'm going to drop everything to get back to my client just shows that you're not spending a lot of time on the fundamentals of your business. Because as a small business owner, how on earth can you have the time to be sitting on your emails for the whole day? And people are proud of that, but it's actually the wrong thing. You're setting an expectation from a client that you'll drop everything within two minutes. As you sort of progress, you start looking at these business owners and go, what else are they doing during their day if they're always responding to me within two minutes? And you realize they just don't know how to manage their day. You shouldn't be proud of sending an email at 1 a.m. in business. That's not a professional thing. That's out of control. This whole idea of things we used to be proud of, the perception of working hard, people who are new to it look at it as, gee, they work hard. People who are professional and working at a different level go, gee, they're disorganized. And it's a very interesting point that you bring up because it does come into the way that society is actually changing around work. You've got people like VW in Europe. They turn off everyone's emails after. I think it was Porsche, but yeah. No, VW do it as well. Do they? Volkswagen, no, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, like, no one said they can. I was going to say that. Nope. I can talk about I'm not going to talk about environmental protection stuff. They can switch off so, as well. <laughs> so, BW in Europe, um, they turn off everyone's email. I think it's at seven pm. Yep. Who aren't in a reactionary role, so they're not marketing, they're not customer service. They're people who don't need their email, and it's this idea of you know you have to be the last person seen in the office. You have to be there when your boss is there. You have to do all this sort of stuff, which is changing. Forget COVID times; it was changing before that. This idea around taking pride in results, not in sitting at your desk for long hours. And there's still a level of, yes, you have to show as you're getting your feet and you have to show your work. I appreciate that. But what used to be I'm working hard is slowly turning into there's something I'm not doing right. There's something that's missing that I feel I have to be doing this. Yeah. And we're not anti hard work, obviously. We certainly can't be here sprouting that we don't work hard. We work long hours, we do lots of hours, and we've been doing it for many, many, many years. But we're moving into an era where impact is a lot more transparent than what it used to be. So what are the hard work or hard hours or long hours actually equate to? So what used to be sitting in the office late at night, what have you actually executed? So you still have to work hard. Don't take this as hard work's disappearing. It's hard work. The issue is it's so transparent now that what is hard work, what is high impact work, and what is just disorganization. And smaller businesses struggle with this because when they're early on, the only way they believe they can sell their service or to give them a go is to over-service a client, is to do more than what a traditional bigger business could offer that client. And then they find themselves in the same problem that as soon as they start growing, they have to start putting the same boundaries on what they used to pride themselves on not having to do because that's the only way to run that business. Not educating the client on how we need to behave together at the start of the relationship because I think, Lani, you you were speaking about from a delivery point of view, this is how we need to behave. But part of that confidence as you grow as a small business is actually educating the client at the start of the relationship on how the relationship's going to be. Not just the delivery, how we're going to be. 
and your expectations of them. So one of the big things we had in all our companies was educating clients on their role to stay a client with us. So you don't have the right not to behave like this or we're going to have to charge you more because we're going to need to fill the gaps in the things you need to deliver for order for us to do our job right. That happens in all different types of industries in different ways. But if you're in a service delivery type industry or professional services, you have to educate the client on your expectations as the provider on what they need to do to be a good client. And it's always an interesting dynamic if they are of the opinion that fast responses to emails, working on the weekends, 2am in the morning is hard work. Because if that's what they believe it is, they're going to keep pushing it onto you. Yeah, they'll just keep pushing and pushing and pushing because we're all just big children, aren't we? We're looking for the boundary. Yeah, and that comes back to the original part of this whole discussion, which was you then have the right and the responsibility to actually educate them and turn around and say, that's fine that you're emailing on a Saturday or you're calling me at 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, but that's not how this goes because this is not performance. This is not getting the best. If I respond to you on a Saturday, do you think I'm going to be as committed to, you know, your social media ads as if I was planned and ready on a work day. And I think a lot of people would be probably thinking right now, but you don't understand my clients. They're really high maintenance. No, you've trained them to be high maintenance or they're not valuing you the way you value yourself. Because if they are, great, charge them for it. And that's the thing, you know, again, personal experience. It's affecting me on a deep level. This is a really Um, big podcast for you. (laughs) We put a weekend fee in there. We said, great, if you think you need us in the weekend, you pay for it. Yeah, you see the people who value it. It's amazing how many people don't care about you responding to a Saturday email for, and it's not huge amounts, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks every week. Because I started this, when we talk about digital, I started it, I set the tone. And realizing that I'm not that important, they don't actually need me. It's a lot of ego of what I think that they needed versus what they actually wanted. And it did, it took probably six years. But this is every small business's journey as you're learning. You start to work out, Everyone's going to say yes to more service. Everyone. And you can provide unlimited better service all the time. But the issue is that you have to have a business model and you have to work out that that's not possible unless you're, you're allowing for it all. And this is the whole SME issue, over-servicing every client and wondering why they're always run off their feet. And let me give you a really basic example because there's a lot of people out there that will be going, eh, I sort of think what you're saying, there's probably something into it, but that's not me. Well, let me give you an example. If you're in a professional services business and you're, you pride yourself on having a proposal out the next day, it's either a real crap proposal or you're already setting the expectation that it's tomorrow. Now, I'm not talking about an efficient sales process. We're talking about setting expectations at each interaction point in your business, being late for meetings. Do you accept that from your clients? Every single touch point, how it's going to be. Do you accept abruptness in your emails? How is the communication? And people go, well, you can't change a client. You absolutely can change a client because not every client gets to work with us. And this is the thing you start to change and mature in your company is the expectations and the way of delivering those expectations. Because the great thing is, once you start getting a type of client, you generally attract more of that type of client. If you have someone who really values that you're available 24-7, they'll start telling all their friends that have the same values in their life. Oh, you should go to them. They're always available. That's not a good client. To add on top of that, it's very different to they're there when we need them. Yeah, we're not talking about that. 
Now, me personally, my clients love, I am there when they need me. The agency, there when we need me. The performance consultancy, there when we need them. That's not they're there at two o'clock in the morning because your business doesn't need this at two o'clock in the morning. They just don't. You might need it and that's a different discussion. Again, back to this whole being direct and being tactful together and being kind. Being there when someone needs you doesn't mean at the detriment of yourself. And to me, that's very important. You can give all the advice. You can be there to help. But that email doesn't need to be answered because if it was that urgent, it would be a phone call. Yeah, and you have to train yourself to continue to set the boundaries of how your business behaves with your clients. You have to set those boundaries. And it becomes so obvious when you have a more inexperienced business on how they don't create those boundaries. And people don't get upset. As long as they understand the boundaries in which you operate on, they're pretty good. This is the problem. They respect it. Yeah, the only time you find yourself with a lot of problems is because you haven't set the boundaries or you're frankly too weak to set the boundaries because you're too worried you're going to lose the client or they're going to be upset or they might not work with you because that's how you've pried your whole work up until this point. But what you're actually doing is just burning yourself out, burning your company out, burning your people out. It's really important because it's almost the opposite. You used to be proud of that and you can't be anymore. You have to be proud of the organization including the boundaries you put on in order to perform better and deliver a better result for the client. One of the things that when we're discussing this was we used to hide the work we've done because we've got a core value of always be humble and Being around humble people is the type of people we like to be around. But I think we got this wrong for many, many years that being humble doesn't mean not being proud of your work and showcasing your work. And the issue we've got is we're now in a completely transparent world being social media and all the platforms and that we're all, every business is their own little media outlet. We used to hide the results we were proud of because we didn't want to be seen as people who were arrogant or Um, what would we say? Show ponies. Yeah, yeah, show ponies. And that's been a big change for us is how do we self-promote because we're actually happy with the results. And frankly, let's be honest, you have to self-promote. It's part of every sales funnel right now. It's part of every channel, which is you need to create a reputation for yourself. People are looking online for you. And it's not just having a website. You're a living, breathing organism. And it's not just for new clients. It's actually to attract great staff, They want to be part of something that's going somewhere. So if you're hiding your results, hiding the things you do and not talking about your business, that's a problem these days. And this is something that we definitely got wrong early on, didn't we, Nigel? Because we would just wait for people to discover us because we didn't need to be those people who are always pushing, here's our results. We almost uh, built it into the models for a couple. I remember the video production agency, part of the mission statement was to not be known. It was to be the silent voice behind other brands. So we'd be happy to promote somebody else, but we'd go, we don't exist. Yeah, which is a major error. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's just stupid. I think we've gotten a lot better currently. We found a nice way of doing it in that we would often hide you and the ethos of what we're doing, but now without promoting being salesy or upfront about it, we just go, well, we know what we say is good. We know that it has benefit to people. Let's put the voice out there and it attracts the right kind of people. 
Yeah, definitely. You you have to compete. And it's not because you want to compete with other people. It is, you know, the old squeaky wheel gets oil metaphor, but you actually have to talk about what you're doing because people want to be part of the journey. And for most smaller businesses, I think they really struggle with this. Even established smaller businesses, say sub $20 million type organizations, this is new for them. And this is new for how we're going to promote. And they don't necessarily promote in the right way. It's not putting more ads out. It's showcasing the things that you want to publicly showcase because it's important. Why wouldn't you want to talk about yourselves if you're good? The problem is people who aren't good are happy to talk about themselves. <laughs> and, and, that's, and it's true. And we, you know, we had Reese from TCYK on the other day in the podcast and he was saying you've got a choice, which is the choice is very simple. You either can dictate the message from your brand or others will dictate that message for themselves. Which one do you want? Just because you're not opting in doesn't mean it's not happening. We've had to push that. Atlanta's particularly poor at this. Terrible. Absolutely. (laughs) Because she doesn't want to be public, right? Yeah. And doesn't want to be a face of anything around that. She doesn't have that desire to be a public figure in in all these things. So we've missed a lot of great opportunities because we're not pushing that. This is not a criticism. This is how it is, right? And so we have to constantly find ways of, well, how do we then promote? Because we're losing one of our major opportunities because that's just not a role Lana wants to play, which is totally understandable, by the way. There's difference between self-promotion and then really self-promoting professionally. And you also have to believe it. If you're going to self-promote, the idea of being authentic it would come across in two seconds. I can stand on a stage and I've done it before, thousands of people, no problems. I don't want PR and media of myself. It's not in my interest set. And if you put me somewhere, they would know straight away and I wouldn't be myself, which means that we wouldn't have what we want. Yeah, but you then have to then find ways of what will work with your business. So in the past, we used to try and be the best hidden secret as Nigel spoke about. How do we be a great business that the way we're going to grow is because we do such good work that our clients will talk to others about us and share that. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen fast enough or big enough. Even when clients push you, you should be curating and managing that process. So it's not just about reactionary referrals. It's about what do you do in the referral process that gets you out there puts you in front of people. And this is what I think a lot of businesses that struggle with growth, they think that other companies are just lucky or it's happening. But there's a lot of curation happening behind the scenes of how do we get more clients to promote? What are the opportunities we're providing for clients to bring their networks to us? How do we get our clients to share our content? This is part of your sales and growth strategy. You can't be proud of hiding your business and then wonder why it's difficult to grow. And it, there's, a, there's a secondary gain to it as well, which is if you decide to expand in the future, all the work you're doing for promotion is going to help with that expansion. If you're not investing in those things now, your expansion is going to be even more difficult. You might want to move to a different city. You might want to go to a different market. You might need to access different people to get opportunities in for a new product or service. All of that is part of this promotion now. And it's not around bragging. It's about promotion. It's about creating a brand. It's about showing that you're a growing organism, that your business is doing things, that you're attracting the right people, that you're excited about that. Everyone wants to be with a winner. Are you a winner? And you go, yeah, I am. I go, great. By whose standard and who knows about it? Oh, well, our clients. Well, that's not great. That's only stage one. 
Now, what are all the other touch points? And we got this wrong because now we look at it completely differently, which is we don't want to disrespect all our people, our clients by not sharing their wins, by not sharing the journey, by not reinforcing that they're at a place that's going places, that they're trying things, that we're doing things. Even this podcast, even the private backable group, all these other assets that have been set up over the last 12 months that are really growing quite exponentially because there's a general proudness of what we're doing and the people we're working with. And you've got to find that in your own business because it's a key growth strategy, but it's also got all these things that you don't realize is an added value until you need them. And I think that's something, Lana, particularly for us is it's a constant battle to self-promote. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find something of value to add to this, but it's something I'm really bad at. It's not something that I feel I can even give opinion or advice on because I see the work that you both do with Backable and it's not in my DNA. I cannot promote myself. I can promote you guys. I see all that, but it's a huge block for me. Yeah, even when we had the agency early on, I was standing up doing social media keynotes. It shouldn't have been me. Lana can connect, speak more intelligently. Like I was speaking on, (laughs) makes me laugh now because it's like, I don't care, I'll do whatever it is at the early stages of a business, but speaking at fashion trade shows on social media, hey, fashion's not, if you know me, like, I like a black t-shirt. You were t-shirt. speaking at a fashion trade show in a gingham shirt yeah. at the time as well. So <laughs> I don't know what gingham is, but it, <laughs> uh, I assume that's something. But when we're growing a company, we'll do whatever we can to get there. But you've got to start thinking, well, how do we keep promoting ourselves? That should be as important as attracting more clients, retaining current clients, growing the product and service, and promoting ourselves, which is you know part of that growth strategy of any business. But this is particularly done well for most great little businesses because they never have time. And the first thing that falls off when they're busy is self-promotion. And I think it's something that particularly in Australia, culturally, we do struggle with that self-promotion kind of idea. And where Lana struggles in promoting herself, I equally have those same kind of things going on. But I'm lucky in that I will promote in my own way you. I'm able to put you at the forefront of that because you are the forefront of our message and what we've built both Philodomo and Backable around. So that gives me a reason to promote. And if I have to step to the forefront in certain spaces to support that, then that tricks me into being able to do it. I agree. And I think this is important. That's an important point. There's self-promotion for people just in general life. So if you're building a career, you need to work out where should I be self-promoting. And it can be subtle around starting to build up your personal profile. In a business, one of the things you have to work out is where the promotion's coming from. And you can't have everyone wanting to be the face of the business because it confuses the marketplace if you're not a big business. But even when there's a big business, you're still not seeing every Tom, Dick and Harry promoting as the face of the business. So you shouldn't be playing that role unless that's a strategic reason to play that role. Like your self-promotion should be around where do I need to promote what I'm doing to do my job better. Yeah. Where do I support the message and what role do I play in that? Yeah. If you're booking people or interviews from the podcast, why are they not replying to me? Well, it must be because I'm not interesting enough for them to get back to me. And that's a reality. If that's a problem we're solving, the same thing in if I'm the CEO of a business, why am I not getting booked at keynotes if that's one of our strategy? Well, because our business doesn't look interesting enough exciting enough. People don't know what we're doing, whatever it is. And these are things you have to be brutal on because if you're trying to scale a business, this is now a reality of the world we live in, which is 
you don't get to be the best kept secret. What great business is the best kept secret you know? And I wouldn't say that you're being brutal. I'd say you're being direct. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if only this was a visual podcast, the face that went along with that (laughs) comment. Let's just shut this whole thing down, really. (laughs) But this is the point, isn't it? And I guess the things we used to be proud of, and particularly in Australia, we've got this big idea of the tall poppy syndrome. Everyone will be supportive until the point where you get successful and then the opposite happens where they'll try and tear you down. It happens to celebrities, it happens to businesses, it's the media cycle. They're trying to create soap operas, right? We all know it. It's just part of the game of media. In other countries, they look at success in a different way, particularly in the US, even Europe. They love a success story. And it's not that we don't love it here in this country, but there's a lot that goes with it. We see a lot of friends in the States particularly that it's just natural to promote yourself. It's incredible. The belief in themselves and what they're doing and how important they are. To be honest with you, I really like that culture of you do you, do it the best you can and scream from the mountaintops. I think that's great. It's a little bit different here. And that's, the I think, the cultural calibration that we're having, which is we're at the moment located in Australia, but opening sort of the expansion in Europe and the US. Well, the cultural expectations are completely different. You don't get to be a company that doesn't want to stand up and say your bit and talk about what you are and talk about what you're trying to do. That's exciting for people. I think there is something that needs to happen for a lot of companies, which is what are we doing to shout from the rooftops our message? So if you find yourself in your business and you're amused the same way we are about things that we used to try and hide from clients, from ourselves, from the general public, but now we're quite proud of, understand that that's part of the journey. And this is why we always have to understand that every stage of our journey, we have to recalibrate and work out what's right for now. What used to be right for when we're small doesn't fit from when we're medium. What's working now when we're medium wouldn't have worked when we're small. And this is the whole fun of this whole game is nothing ever doesn't work. There's just a right time and place for when a strategy, when an idea, when a behavior is going to best fit. So have a think about where you're at. Have a think about the things that are working, the things that aren't. Have a think about the next stage of the journey and what are some of the things that you once hid from the public but now might be worth bringing out of the closet, shining it up and maybe applying going forward. And I particularly encourage you to consider being proud of your business and being public with the achievements because friends are proud of your achievements and those that aren't proud of your achievements, they don't matter anyway. Have a great week. Lana and Nigel, thank you for the conversation and let's do it all again next week. See ya. that's the show for this week thanks for listening and of course if you head on over to backable.ai you can access all the downloadables we've put together now if you want to stay up to date with all things backable and philodomo then make sure to join our facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below as always if you have enjoyed this week's podcast please don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review that's all from us for now have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week bye